Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. We are so excited to bring you a message from C.J. Johnson from Southland City Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. C.J. is the son of our beloved pastors, C.J. and Cheryl. Today's message is called Stepping into the Promised Land, where C.J. walks us through Deuteronomy 2, 1 through 8 in a very practical and applicable way. Let this message build your faith to allow God to do the remarkable and incredible things He desires for your life. We hope you enjoy this message. So, amen. Hey, I, I just want to uh, let you know I'm excited about today. I, I, my wife and I are proud of all three of our children, Rick, Chris, and Heidi. We're proud of our kids. I'm proud of my son, obviously, that's going to be speaking here, our son. Uh, we're very proud of him. Uh, he's taken the church that he's at right now. He was at Southland City Church. He's been there now how long? Five years. He's been there five years. Just started that church. He, he started out as the a speaking pastor there and then eventually became the pastor. And now he's the lead pastor at Southland City Church. Um, God has blessed them. They started with 76 people. Now on their roster, on their roster, name of roster, membership is over 3,000 people. And uh, God has blessed him in five years. It's been amazing. Today I'm excited to be able to allow my son to be able to speak to you because uh, he is anointed of God. He's probably, I'm not just saying that, Brett, I mean it with all my heart. He's probably one of the best communicators uh, that I've ever, Dan, seen, and you're going to experience that in a moment. But let's welcome my, our son, our son, CJ, Senior. I call him Junior, Senior, whatever. Well, good morning. Uh, I'm going to need everyone to lower the expectations. My dad hasn't heard a lot of preachers, so it's not hard to... Not hard to be at the top of that list, uh, but excited to be here. Uh, like I said, I, I'm CJ, little CJ that's bigger than the big CJ, and uh, we also have a CJ of our own. Uh, my wife, Kristen, is somewhere in the back over here uh, with our four kids, and you'll probably get to meet her. She is uh, my walking street cred. Uh, in every couple, there is a, a reacher and a settler, and it's clear in our relationship who did the reaching and who did the settling, and uh, it's one of the greatest testimonies in my life, uh, you know, standing next to my wife, people are like, how did that even happen? Uh, <laughs> God is just that good. He's just that good. And uh, we have four kids, uh, Riley, Cannon, Miles, and Presley, two boys, two girls, uh, eight, six, five, and seven weeks. Uh, the seven-week-old was a surprise. That's what you get for going home for lunch on a Tuesday. And... Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to cuddle, but other people, they only have one thing on their mind. And uh, anybody thankful for healthy marriages? Can you have a healthy marriage? And uh, we are excited to be here and uh, just excited to kind of get to experience firsthand uh, Adventure Church. And uh, you may not know this. You may owe it to yourself to go on a church appreciation tour. Uh, but what is happening here, it's not happening everywhere. In a day and age where... Churches are not only plateaued but declining in a day and age where churches are shutting its doors uh, week after week. Uh, what you see happening here, it's, it's not happening everywhere. This is an absolute move of God, and the fact that it's happening in this context, in a small town, is absolutely phenomenal. And so I would just say, hey, lean in. Lean into what's going on here. Buy into what's going on here. Uh, don't just be a consumer. Uh, be a contributor. Be a part of it. You know, the gospel calls Every single one of us. Hey, live beyond yourself, right? Uh, that God's work in your life is, is tied to God's work in somebody else's life. So serve and give and attend and be a part uh, because there's going to come a day uh, where a group of people are going to be able to look back on this 
and say, hey, I was a part of that. And you don't want to say, hey, I missed the boat. And I chose other priorities over that. And so dial into this. I also want to thank my parents. Uh, you know, I've been blessed uh, my whole life to have the same pastors uh, my entire life. I don't only honor them as uh, my, my parents, uh, but I honor them as my, my pastors. And I've just been blessed to have a front row seat. I think a lot of people are always curious. I wonder what uh, our pastors are like behind closed doors. Uh, I got to see that every single day. And uh, one thing I love about my parents are, uh, one, they're authentic. Uh, they're the most generous people I ever, uh, ever met, hands down. In fact, growing up as kids, we used to try to talk my parents out of their generosity. Uh, and mom, you think she preaches on giving up here. Uh, she preached on giving every day of our life, I feel like. You know, hey, generosity is a genius way of giving, right? You can't outgive a generous, a generous God. And, and their generosity just always moved me. Uh, and, and then their grace. Uh, I wouldn't be where I'm at. Uh, if it wasn't for their grace in my life. And uh, Lord knows I needed a lot of grace uh, to get to this point. Anyone else just need a lot of grace to be seated where you're at? And uh, so I know they're my parents. I honor them for being my parents. But church, together, can we just honor our pastors for the great men and women of God that they are? Can we honor them? Well, anybody, uh, anyone excited about the Bible? Anyone excited about the Bible? Um, I'm the type of preacher who it's okay to talk back. Uh, this isn't a lecture. This is more of a dialogue and a conversation. So if you hear something that you like, say amen, hallelujah, praise God. If you don't know any of the Christianese phrase, just say, heck yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, uh, but I believe in the Bible, and I do believe that it's funner to cook for hungry people. And uh, so I, I just ask that you lean into this, and let's just see what God's word has to say. If you have your Bibles, open up to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 2. Deuteronomy chapter 2. And uh, what we find here is uh, the, the nation of Israel kind of wandering about in the wilderness. Uh, they are kind of in limbo between uh, the land that they were imprisoned in, in Egypt, kind of what that video just referenced, and, and the promised land in which they are heading. In chapter 2 of the book of Deuteronomy, this is Moses speaking. He says, then we turn back and set out toward the wilderness along the route to the Red Sea, as the Lord had directed me. For a long time, we made our way around the hill country of Seir. Then the Lord said to me, you have made your way around this hill country long enough. Other versions of the Bible say you have, you have circled this mountain. You have circled this mountain long enough. Now turn north and give the people these orders. You are about to pass through the territory of your relatives, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir. They will, be, uh, they will be afraid of you, but be very careful. Do not provoke them to war, for I will not give you any of their land, not even enough to put your foot on. I have given Esau the hill country of Seir as his own. You are to pay them in silver for the food you eat and the water you drink. The Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He has washed over your journey through this vast wilderness. And these 40 years, these 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. And you have not lacked anything, verse 8, so they went on. So they went on. And what you find here is the nation of Israel has moved out of the land of imprisonment uh, towards the promised land. They are now in the wilderness, and they have been there for, for 40 years. A, a journey that should have taken days, it takes them decades. 
And if you're new to Scripture, how this all plays out is at the beginning of Scripture, you find sin entering the world through the free choice of man, right? And what I love about Scripture is God's willingness to give us the details, some of the play-by-play action as to how all this plays out. And so what you find is God's plan of redemption begins unraveling and unfolding as history begins to unfold. And what you find is God's redemptive plan uh, began with one man. God said, hey, I'm going to start with the man by the name of Abraham. I'm going to make him a promise. I'm going to bless his faithfulness. And uh, from him, uh, I'm going to start this movement of redemption in the world. Which I don't know about you guys, but, but I, love, I love that. I love that when God looks upon humanity and says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to redeem humanity. God decides I'm going to begin with one individual. One man, I think we can derive a lot of hope, a lot of courage, a lot of confidence from that idea that God looks upon you and God looks upon me and says, hey, if you trust me, I can use you to do the unthinkable in this world. I can use one person to change a city. I can use one person to change a community. I can use one student to change a high school. I can use one uh, individual to change an entire family. I can use one person. And so what you find from this individual Abraham as his descendants come about, and they form into an entire nation, the nation of Israel. And all throughout the Old Testament, they are known as the people of God, the family of God. And what I love about the nation of Israel is all throughout the Old Testament, uh, we just find that they ebb and they flow. There's ups and there's downs. There are times where they are striving and there are times where they are just absolutely diving, right? It's up and it's down. And, and I love that because as I recognize their inconsistencies, as I recognize their brokenness, all their shortcomings, as I recognize their mistakes in the fact that they are the family of God, it makes me think to myself, well, well if they're in the family of God, well, then that's a family that I can fit in. Aren't you thankful that you don't have to be perfect to be a part of the family of God? I love that being a a sinner is a prerequisite to being a Christian. You may not realize that, but being a sinner is a prerequisite to being a Christian. Jesus came saying, hey, I I didn't come for the healthy, but the sick. Jesus didn't come for the self-righteous. He came for those with self-awareness. Those who recognize, hey, I'm a broken sinner in need of this wonderful, life-altering grace that only God can provide. So if this is the family of God, well, the good news for me and the good news for you is knuckleheads like us, we're in. If this was a camp of perfect people, we don't fit. But this is a camp of broken people, so you can count every single one of us, every single one of us in. And so they find themselves here in this wilderness. And again, this is a journey that it only should have taken days. And it takes them decades. Any of you who have raised children, maybe you can relate to this, but have you ever given your children a task and then you watch them proceed with that task and how long it takes them to accomplish some simple thing that you've asked them to do and it just drives you nuts? Uh, For me, this is watching my kids unload the dishwasher. It just absolutely drives me crazy. Uh, You know, they have yet to gain the logic of, hey, stack all the cups up then walk over to the cabinet and put all the cups away. No, they do They do one cup at a time. And so me as a father, I get irritated and impatient, and I just step in, right? Go get a snack, play with your iPad, I'll take it from here, right? And uh, poor parenting on my end. 
And, and so I shortcut the process. I actually hinder my children when I do things like that. I forfeit them the opportunity to, to learn responsibility, to learn to be efficient, to, to learn to take care of themselves and to, to grow up a little bit and add maturity to their lives. What I love about our God is he is such a better father than I am. He is such a better father than I am. And what should have taken these individuals days takes them decades. And it says through it all, God was with them. Moses tells these people, God has been with you through it all. Which you may not realize this, but the central promise of Scripture is not I will forgive you. The central promise of Scripture is I will be with you. And there's something so marvelous, something so outstanding about our God's willingness to remain faithful and patient and alongside us through the ups and through the downs and through the, all the inconsistencies of our life. Aren't you thankful that our God is incredibly patient? Yeah. Scripture has a word for this. Scripture calls his patience long-suffering. Long-suffering. You know, I once heard a theologian talking about there's a portion of Scripture where it says uh, that no man could see God and live. No man could see God face to face and live. That something about his glory and his magnificence would stop us dead in our tracks. He said, for the longest time, I, I assumed it was because of the splendor of God. He said, then I lived a little. Then I learned more and more about scripture. Then I observed some people's lives, and I've come to assume and think for myself that maybe it's not the splendor of God that would stop us dead in our tracks. Maybe it's the suffering of God that would stop us dead in our tracks. Maybe if you and I had a glimpse of all the suffering." And all the painstaking endurance and patience that we put our God through, maybe that would be the one thing that would be the most gut-wrenching to you and I. And then he ended with this statement. He said, but maybe, maybe the suffering of God is the splendor of God. Maybe what makes our God so marvelous, so breathtaking, so indescribable is his willingness to be perfect and holy and glorious and righteous yet incredibly faithful. Have you ever found that the issues in life are never a result of his lack of faithfulness? It's always our lack of faithfulness. And so you find these, these people in this, this wilderness, and they are disgruntled, and they are frustrated. They're frustrated with God. They're frustrated with Moses. They've become pessimistic, and they have become incredibly disappointed, which we won't, we won't do a show of hands, but have you ever been there? You ever looked at your life and just felt disappointment? Looked at your career, felt disappointment? Observed the status of, of your relationships and you were just disappointed? These individuals were utterly, utterly disappointed. And what you find that to be true in these individuals and what I have found to be true in my life, and, and maybe if you're honest, you'll find this to be true of you as well, and that is life is disappointing. When you and I don't live the life that God appointed. Life is disappointing when you and I don't live the life that God appointed. God told them, hey, I'm going to set you free. And I'm going to lead you out of Egypt. And I am going to lead you into this promised land. Yet they fell short. And God comes to them through Moses and sends a message and says, hey, you've, you've circled this mountain long enough. It's time to head north. It's time to head north. And 
I feel like sometimes I'm like the Israelites. That if I'm not careful and I'm not intentional or if I'm not disciplined, I find myself just going in circles. Have you ever found yourself just going in circles? It's like, are, are we going to? Are we going to do this again? Are we going to do this again? We go in perpetual circles in life. Are we really going to open another credit card? Did we not learn our, our lesson the last time? Are we going to circle this again? Are we going to have another fight and rediscover the importance of communication in our marriage again? Are we going to, are we going to do this again? Are you going to show up to the job late every single day the same way you did at your last job that ended in termination? Are, you, are we going to circle this again? Are you going to buy, buy your youngest child a cell phone at the age of seven when you found out with your other children that wasn't a good idea, it was too early, premature freedom is a hindrance and a curse to young children, right? Did, did we not learn our lesson the first time? Are we going to have to circle this one more time. And I think it's recognizing that, hey, sometimes we go in circles. God has blessed my wife with the ability to add very concise commentary to my driving. Uh, as, we, <laughs> as we drive around, uh, she is offering her feedback. Uh, that was the one thing about being single. I never knew all the weird things I did and mistakes I made or, you know, the things I did differently than other people until I got married and I had a narrator for my life. <laughs> I was like, touche. I didn't know that was the case. And um, there's been so many times in my life where my wife, Kristen, has said, babe, we've We've been around this corner before. There's the bank again. We've, we've driven by that tree. We've passed that. We've passed that park. We've gone in a circle. And have you ever taken time to, to maybe recognize the scenery in your life? It's like, I, I think we've been around this circle before. We just go in circles, and what happens is, is we prolong the process in getting to a place where God desires for us to be. One thing I find that when I survey the, the promises of God in Scripture and the faithfulness of God in our lives is God often desires to fulfill his promises far more than you and I desire to receive them. That God is waiting on the edge of his seat saying, God, I just pray they take me at my word so I can do the unthinkable in and through their life. I just want to do the unthinkable in and through their life. And so what I find in this passage that is true about this nation of Israel is there's three things that kept them going in this circle. And the first one was this issue of memory. This issue of memory. What's interesting to me is it says that Moses tells the people, then we, we headed back to, uh, towards the Red Sea as, as God had directed me. We headed back towards the Red Sea as God had directed me. And what's interesting is the Red Sea served as a boundary line. It was the boundary line between the land of imprisonment in Egypt and the wilderness. And God leads them all the way back to this place where, where God did the unthinkable, where God parted the Red Sea, which, come on, how awesome is our God? Christians are notorious for reading through Scripture and just breezing over the magnificent details of God's Word. He parted the Red Sea. And if you're a skeptic like me, you ask the question, well, how did he do it? I need to know how he did it. And uh, I've asked those questions myself only to be humbled by the fact that uh, my God is too magnificent 
and too far beyond my comprehension. When I look in the mirror, I can't even figure myself out or the four kids that I was a co-creator of, let alone figure out the God of the universe. Amen? Sometimes I think we need to stop trying to understand God and start getting to know God. He is not just a purposeful God. He is a, a personal God who desires to have this personal relationship with you and I. And we're caught always trying to get into the head of God rather than just diving into the heart of God. And so it says that God leads them back to this Red Sea. And he brings them to the Red Sea also that he can remind them of his former faithfulness and provision and power in their life. That they needed to be reminded. And something that I noticed to be true within the church, something that I believe is, is plaguing the church, is what I call spiritual amnesia. That we go through life and we lose an awareness of all the great, wonderful, powerful, gracious things that God has done in the past. And what happens is, is the more we, we lose awareness of the past, well then we lose confidence in what God can do in the future. And God says, hey, before we move forward, we have to go back to this place. You have to take this with you. This, this is essential for your journey moving forward. Don't forget this. Kind of makes me think of when I take my kids camping. I take my kids camping and I say my kids, not my family. Uh, because one individual in our family does not come camping with us. That is my wife. Uh, but what she does do is she offers her service in, in following me around and helping me pack for the camping trip. And so as we are going throughout the house, I'm packing the bags. She's there to remind me of the things. Hey, don't forget this. Don't forget that. Don't forget that all-natural organic bug spray uh, that doesn't repel anything, right? Uh, but <laughs> it doesn't have any D in it, right? So don't forget that. Don't forget a flashlight. Don't forget matches. Don't forget extra layers of clothes. I know it's 90 degrees in the middle of July, but you never know. You might get wet. You might need a change of clothes. You might get muddy. You might get cold at night. Someone might have an accident. That someone might be you. Uh, don't forget this. And I think, uh, I think God sometimes is tapping us on the shoulder saying, hey, moving forward, don't, don't forget this. Don't forget all the incredible things I did in your life. Don't forget my formal, former faithfulness because once you lose an awareness of that, I'm telling you, you lose a confidence moving forward. You lose this confidence, and I, I believe that we, we struggle with this. It's why I think Jesus, when he broke bread and gave us the commandment of communion, he said, do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget this, this love, this grace, this provision, this pardon. Don't forget this because you're going to get down the road and you're going to be rejected by people and you're going to have to come back to this place and remember my love and affection for you. You're going to get down the road and think, I can't face these odds. I can't overcome this challenge. And you're going to have to come back to this place and remember, I defeated death on your behalf. And if death can't defeat you, nothing can defeat you. Don't forget this. You know, I think when we, we talk about the past, we say a lot of really cute things. You know, we say things like, if you don't let your past die, your past won't let you live, right? We say things like, hey, you know, forget the past and move on. Is that possible? Like, is that even wise advice? 
hey, forget the past and move on. I mean, can you actually do that? Somebody goes through a painful divorce, forget it and move on. Can you? Someone lived a life of abuse, hey, just forget it and move on. Can you? Someone made a lot of decisions in their past that have marked their road that is incredibly broken. Hey, just forget it and move on. I don't think it's realistic. I think sometimes in the church world, we develop all these kind of cliche, calloused responses to real brokenness that people are going through. What I kind of co-sign to those statements is, is when I think when we look at the past, there's no doubt our past has a way of producing shame. It has a way of producing regret. It has a way of producing even insecurity and guilt in our life. But the beauty of the gospel is when I look at my past and when you look at your past, I don't see how bad I was. I see how good God was. That's the beauty of the gospel. Hey, don't focus on my brokenness and my shortcomings. Those are known by everybody. Look at the goodness of our God and the grace of our God and the power of our God. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's looking and recognizing God was faithful then and God will be faithful in the future. And so there is this issue of memory for these people. And I wonder for you, what are the things that, that you've just allowed to slip your mind when it comes to all that God has done in and through your life? I mean, what events had to transpire in your life to have you seated right where you're at? What relationships? What situations? What conversations, what happened that had you seated here years later? And you look back and you realize, my goodness, though in the moment I couldn't trace the hand of God, looking back, now I can fully trace the hand of God in my life. Hindsight, 2020, God was at work through it all. And knowing that he was at work through it all then, I'm confident he'll be at work through it all then. Right? Don't forget to take this with you. They had this issue of memory, and, and I think forgetful people become fearful people awareness confidence forgetful people become fearful people and that's the the second thing i recognize in this group of uh israelites which have you found that one of the powerful things about scripture is when you read scripture somehow scripture has a way of reading you we get this wrong all the time we think the bible was meant to be a mallet that we run around standing on street corners with bullhorns, with Bible tracks, with a lot of flames on them saying, hey, hell's still hot, right? And, and that's our purpose, to hammer people over the head with the Bible. But the Bible was intended to be a mirror. That when we gaze into the pictures, pages of Scripture, God reveals things in us that we didn't see in ourselves. And one thing I recognize in them that it exposes some things in me is this issue of fear. Forgetful people become fearful people. And fearful people, I believe, are wasteful people. I once heard a philosopher say that I believe hell begins the day God grants you the opportunity to see all the things you should have done, would have done, and could have done, but didn't do. That's kind of a bone-chilling statement. I believe hell begins the day God grants you a vision of all the things you should have done, could have done, and would have done, but didn't do. And I think we, we go through life wasting time. I think that's one of the greatest traps of the enemy. I think Satan isn't always so bent on luring you and I into some 
you know, destructive behavior, luring you and I into some enticing temptation, I think a lot of times his greatest trap and strategy is luring the people of God into wasting time. Because newsflash, Satan fears you succeeding more than you fear failing. And so we, we go through life wasting time. Something we say around our church all the time is, hey, you only live once. Life is short. You only live once. But if you live it right, once is enough. You only live once. But if you live it right, once is enough. God has blessed us. God has granted us this incredible gift of life. You and I, we ought to make the most of it. This is why I think, you know, the, the world around us who doesn't embrace our faith is so perplexed and confused by us. They look back and they look at the things we say we believe and then the lives we live and they recognize the disconnection and they think to themselves, so why do I want to believe what you believe? So let me get this right. You think that there is a God who spoke life into existence. You believe there's a God who created the heavens and the earth. You believe there is a God who defeated death, hell, and the grave, this all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent God, and you believe he's on your team. Yet you still live life trepidatious. You still live life fearful. You still live life full of timidity. Something's not adding up. That's why I think sometimes in churches, it's not so much that we say lies, but we sing lies every time we go into worship, right? We, we sing these, uh, these songs about the, the greatness of the God we believe in and his majesty and his might and his power and all that he is able to do. That, but then we go out there and we, what are we doing? Do our lives look like more than conquerors? Do, do we look like we're living as children of the most high God? And it's because we're, we're bound in this fear. And I think when it comes to our fear, at least in my life, it boils down to three kind of streams. We'll give them all the letter F so you can kind of remember them. But one, I think we, we have a fear of faces. Not in like a monster way, like boo, you know, but like I think we have this fear of people. You ever found this propensity in you to be a people pleaser? That what, for whatever reason, we go throughout life trying to impress people that we don't even like, right? People that we don't even know, but for whatever reason, we have placed such a high premium on other people's approval. And the tragedy is, and maybe you found this to be true, if you live for someone's approval, you will die with their rejection. But we do, we, we try so hard to impress everybody. We, we try so hard to, to live up to everybody's standards and to be impressive to other people. Now, here's the good news. You can't please everybody, but you can please God. Amen. You can't please everybody, but you can please God. What scripture calls the, the fear of the Lord, this absolute reverence and honor and respect for our God. And it is this fear of the Lord that dispels our fear of men. That it's recognizing that, hey, in this moment, I may not be a lot of things, but I am some things. And I am created in his image and his likeliness. And he loves me and he's with me and he is for me. I can't please everybody, but I can please God. And what does scripture say about pleasing God? It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so we live with this fear of faces. Secondly, we, we live with this fear of fences. When I say fences, I mean all the, the boundaries 
and the obstacles and the limitations that we have set up and created in our life. Scripture says faith can move a mountain. Have you ever discovered that fear can create one? And I think a lot of times the people of God are doing far less moving of mountains and a lot more creating of mountains. And what happens is we try to create our lives of you know, certainty and control and comfort. But here's the reality. That's not a life of faith. Faith is being comfortable outside your comfort zone. And if it doesn't require risk, I don't know if it exercises faith. And so what happens is, is we create all these boundaries, all these limitations in our life, and then we limit God's work in our life. That you are the number one biggest obstacle to God moving in and through your life. And I believe it's not until we push our lives to the limits that we actually discover that God is in it. Because up until that point, everything you've done has been by your ability, by your intellect, by your talent, by your might, by your control. But it's getting outside your comfort zone to experience the greatness of our God. So there's a fear of faces, a fear of fences. And lastly, there's this fear of failure, which failure is overrated. Because I believe it's really not a failure unless you don't learn from it. Evaluated failure that you learn from that becomes valuable experience and wisdom moving forward. Can you really call that a failure? I also think that we oftentimes judge something a failure too soon. For example, Peter walks on water and in the moment they thought he failed. Took a couple steps, loses faith, he fails. Jesus carries him back to the boat. Peter looks like a knucklehead. But now we sit a few thousand years later and we're like, he walked on water. They thought he failed. The rest of us are looking at him thinking, how did he do it? How did he do it? And so the question is, well, what if I go after my dreams? What if I move in the direction that God is prompting me to go in? What if I chase down this, this vision that God has placed in my heart? What if I fail? Here's a question. What if you succeed? What if God shows up and does the unthinkable in your life? And at worst, what's the worst that can happen? You maybe fail forward, right? We have this fear of failure. So there's this memory issue. There's this fear issue. And lastly, the thing that is so interesting about this passage is God tells them, hey, I'm going to lead you through the land of Seir, the land that I have given to Esau and his descendants. And he says, as you go through this land, be very careful. He said, they're already afraid of you. Do not provoke them to war. And then he tells them, and know this, I am not giving you any of their land. I'm not even giving you the land beneath your foot. Not even that much. This is not your land. You're going to pay for everything you eat. You're going to pay for everything you drink. None of this is yours. Because he knew something. You Israelites, you're going to step into this land. You're going to look around. You're going to like the land. You're going to look around. You're going to become envious of what Esau and his descendants have as their possession. And you're going to look at them and recognize they're afraid of us. And if we provoke them to war, we could win. This is a pretty nice piece of property, and if we want it, we can have it. And I think God is bringing to the surface this issue of envy that every single one of us struggles with. Have you ever found yourself just living a very envious life? We all do this at times. We go throughout life, and we're, we're fixated 
on what other people are doing, what other people have, and what other people are experiencing. I want a marriage like them, a job like them, a career like them, a house like them, a car like them, a wardrobe like them, which from the looks of it, skinny jeans haven't made its way up to northern Wisconsin yet, right? <laughs> Someone said, thank God. Hey, I only need one person to have to like this. One person likes it, I'm good. So, but we do, we, we go through our life trying to create in us a carbon copy of somebody else. Which, here's the deal. You are terrible at being someone else. You are terrible at being someone else. Only you can be you. Now, not to be all touchy-feely, sound like a Hallmark card, you're a snowflake, you're a one in a billion. Um, (laughs) But you are one in a universe. No one else shares your thumbprint, your DNA, your voice. No one else shares. You are you. And this is what I think, you know, envy does to us. One, it, it causes you and I to deny our uniqueness. We're so caught up in trying to be like everyone else that we're not focused on being who God created us to be. We're so caught up in desiring things that God doesn't desire for our lives. We're caught up in making non-essential things priorities in our life. And we deny our uniqueness. Secondly, envy, it, it divides our attention. Have you ever found that something about envy causes your mind to be preoccupied with things that you shouldn't be preoccupied with? It's like, hey, I know this is the priority. I know this is what my life should be focused on. I know this is the direction that I should be heading in. But there's something about this that keeps grabbing my attention and dividing my attention and keeping me preoccupied in my thinking. And what that does is that creates in us a double mind, which the Bible has something to say about that, doesn't it? A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And so what happens is we go throughout life living very inconsistent, unstable lives because we've attached our identity and our purpose and our desires and the priorities to ever-shifting things that we see in the lives of other people. And so the ups and the downs of life and the changes that we see in other people's uh, lives and circumstances cause our lives to ebb and flow. But it's not until you are just hunkered down and, hey, this is who I am, And this is who I'm called to be, and this is what God is doing in my life, that we have stability. Divides our attention, it denies our uniqueness, and lastly, I know this to be true, it it drains my energy. It drains my energy. How many of you guys know that keeping up with the Joneses is exhausting? And envy has you and I trying to run somebody else's race, and then when it's time for us to get in the blocks and to run our own race... We've got nothing, no, nothing left in the tank. We're just absolutely exhausted. The moment we measure up, somebody gets a different measuring stick. You get the new iPhone, here comes a new iPhone, right? You finally get, in, you move into that new neighborhood you wanted to move into with all the young families, and then it's like all the young families move out, all the new families coming in don't have children. Once we measured up, someone changed the measuring stick. That's absolutely exhausting. Had me thinking about growing up, my mom went through a country phase. How many of you guys know that when mom goes through a phase, everybody goes through the phase? And uh, mom became a fan of this country artist by the name of Brian White. 
And uh, Brian White had this song called Someone Else's Star. I guess I must be wishing on someone else's star. We used to be in the back seat of the minivan singing it like it was a worship song. Right? I guess I must be wishing on someone else's star. Right? It seems they keep on getting what I'm wishing for. You know how you felt like that? I think it was Dr. Seuss who said, you could be the moon and you'd still be jealous of the stars. Right? I, I, I think I'm wishing on someone else's star. Someone keeps getting what I'm wishing for. And we go through our life and we're just, we are just exhausted trying to keep up with this perpetual cycle. And we're furious and we're frustrated and we're disappointed. Which, come on, we've all been there. Maybe you're a mom, you have four kids, you drive a four-door sedan, right? You have four kids in the back driving illegal, like, hey, sit on your sister's lap, duck down, here comes a cop. And then your friend, who just has their first child, gets a brand new minivan for one kid. And you're thinking, that was my wish. I was wishing for that. Why does she get it, right? And, and you're, you're, you're jealous, right? And envy, it keeps us going in this perpetual cycle. And what I find is whenever you and I or those who envy someone else's success rarely experience their own. When we look at other people's lives and we're so caught up in envy that we never focus on living the lives that we're called to live, we actually never get to experience God's blessing and provision in our lives personally. Because one thing that we do is we fixate our attention on the overflow and we never recognize the undertow. Right? That's what you need to tell all of your haters. Hey, don't envy my overflow if you haven't seen my undertow. Because behind every blessing is a burden. So you want a marriage like that? You should ask them what went into that marriage. Because no great marriage happens by accident. You want to build a successful company like him? You should do your homework and find out what did he do to have that company. You want to raise godly children? You should understand that that takes a lot of consistency over many years and it's trusting God through it all. And so it's envying what we see in other people's lives and what happens is, is it forfeits us experiencing what God could do in our life. And what I love about this, and I end with this, is it says that when they go through this, God lays out all this geography, geography for them. And it says that you've been circling this mountain, Mount Seir, which you may not know anything about that, and that's okay, I get it. But all throughout Scripture, you find that God used landmarks as boundary lines. A river was a boundary. A body of water, a lake, a sea, an ocean, boundary. A mountain, it was a boundary. And Mount Seir served as the boundary line to the promised land. You know, we grew up in Colorado, and one of the things I loved about the mountains is the higher you were, the further you could see. And here was a generation, an entire nation, standing at an elevation where they could see into the promised land. Yet for 40 years, they never stepped in to that promise. And an entire generation missed the promise. It's because they had this issue of memory and fear and envy and they lost faith. They lost trust in God. They didn't live a life of obedience. And, and they stood there peering in but never stepping in. 
And here's what I found is you can't accomplish great things if you don't attempt great things. And I know what you're thinking. Well, I don't know how it's all going to play out. If I take a step in this direction, what's going to happen next? If I step in, what then? And I think that's where discernment comes in. I think discernment is a lot like, it's a lot like driving at night. Your headlights, they give you just enough light to see what's in front of you. But it's also just enough light for you to make it home. And so it's saying, okay, God, I'm, I am going to take one step. And when you give me the next step, I'm going to take that step. I'm not going to live a life of fear. I'm not going to forget your form of faithfulness. Life may be painful, but one thing I've discovered is you are always powerful. I'm moving forward. Amen. And I just think there's never been a greater time in our nation, in our cities, for the people of God to stand and to live a life of faith and for God to be on display in such a way that the rest of the world leans in. And they look at the lives that we're living, they look at the things God is accomplishing, and they think, I have to be a part of that. Amen. I'm telling you, we better start living a life of faith. Otherwise, what we're going to pass on to the next generation is going to be a pretty sad-looking church. It's up to us to pass on to the next generation a faith in God that works. That's why you guys here in Siren... Wisconsin need to be building a blueprint that other churches and small communities can look upon what you're doing and saying, hey, we can aggressively and effectively spread the gospel all throughout these small towns, reaching as many people as possible. And it's up to you guys to make sure that those who are 20 and under in this community have a faith in God that works, has a church to stand on, and a community to be a part of. You can't play it safe. You cannot play it safe. And you wonder, well, how far do we take it? How far did Jesus take this? He walked to a cross and he gave his life. So until you get to that point, don't worry about going too far. Amen? Will you guys bow your heads and pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your patient endurance with us all. God, we thank you that in your family, there are people who are filled with brokenness. And God... Somehow, despite it all, you love us in spite of our brokenness. God, we find that as we entrust our lives to you, somehow we're, we're just broken in all the right places because our brokenness, it just fits together so beautifully. So God, I pray that we will, we will rise up as people of God to live the life that you've appointed. God, that we will live fully aware of your faithfulness in and through our lives. God, that we will live full of faith, recognizing that fear and faith, they occupy the same space and they're terrible roommates. So as one increases, the other decreases. God, give us the ability to foster our faith also we can drown out the fear that tries to hinder us. God, we pray that you crucify this envy in every single one of us. God, help us to be committed to who you've called us to be, confident in who you've created us to be. God, give us the boldness and the courage and the confidence and the faith to attempt great things. Because, God, we know that you are able to accomplish great things. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, chances are you're here and your first step towards God's promise for your life may be this promise of redemption, 
this promise of grace and this promise of a relationship with God. And if that's you with heads bowed, no one looking around, if you're here and you want to place your faith in Jesus Christ, on the count of three, I just want you to slip your hand up. One, two, three. Go ahead and slip your hand up. Amazing. Church, all together, pray this with me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the cross. Thank you for dying for me. Also, I can live for you. Today, I give you my life. Be my God, be my Savior, be my King, and be my friend. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, can we celebrate three individuals giving their life to Christ? Thank you for listening to this week's message from Adventure Church. Well, it's finally here, the Adventure Church app. We invite you to download it by searching either Apple App Store or Google Play, or simply text AC Siren app, all one word, to 77977 to get a direct link. You can also check out our website, www.adventurechurchsiren.com.